Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Kendrick. I'm a pastor here at Calvary Church West Hills, and we're going to shift. We've spent a couple weeks talking about evangelistic prayers and how to spend time in praying for our community. There's still the opportunity to join the church in praying for our community. You can go on the webpage, and if you go to the connect button, it's at the top right-hand corner. It'll take you to a webpage where you can sign up and join the church in praying for their community. There's also a QR code out on the TV in the lobby. And if you would like to just join our church in praying for our community, we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, Just so quickly as we started last week and looked at it, I think we have over 600 homes that people in our church have adopted and committed to pray for. And I think we're about 300 prayers for people in our community by name. So thank you guys for that as we continue uh, to do that and and um, bring Jesus to our communities. We be lights in our world. So this morning, we're actually going to switch. We're going to stay in prayers, but we're in November now. We're hitting November, and we're coming to this time of Thanksgiving, where we are going before Jesus. We're going before God, and we are finding ourselves doing prayers of Thanksgiving. This is what this month is known for. And sometimes when we're doing prayers of Thanksgiving, it can be hard, because we don't know where to start. Like, how do you start a prayer for Thanksgiving. Should we start with uh, asking, like, hey, God, forgive me for my sins before I start asking or praising you for Thanksgiving? Um, That's always a good place to start is with our repentance. Or should we just get down to business? God knows our hearts, and we don't want to make these superficial small talk things to God. So do we just jump right in and start giving thanks for God and just get right into it? Like, how do we pray for Thanksgiving? Do we do it reverently? Do we go before Almighty Father? Do we do it casualty and be like, not casualty, casually, right? Should we do it casually and just be like, hey, God, it's me again. I just want to pray with you. Um, do we follow one of the prayer models? There's the hand model of prayer. There's the axe prayer model. There's the clock model. There's the prayer prayer model. There's the five-point prayer model. I never heard of this one until I started looking this up, but there is the enjoyable prayer model. I hope all of your prayers are enjoyable, but there is a model you can follow. And if we're not careful, we start to get overwhelmed. There's all these different things and and different ways that we can pray. So we're just going to slow down for the next few weeks and look at this, right? It's, It's really not hard. It's really not that complicated. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at one of David's prayers, an example that David gives us on a prayer of thanksgiving, More than anybody in the Old Testament, David's life was characterized by praise and worship. David wrote many of the prayers and the songs of thanksgiving, many of those that we find in the book of Psalms, but arguably his greatest prayer of thanksgiving is found in 1 Chronicles. So if you go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Chronicles, and this is towards the end of David's life, he's about to pass the throne, he's about to pass the kingship to his son, so we're going to be at the end of 1 Chronicles. Go ahead and go to chapter 29. And we find ourselves just prior to David anointing Solomon as the new king. And King David assembles all of his leaders of Israel, all the leaders of all the tribes, all of his military commanders, the royal overseers, the ones that he had appointed to govern, all the leading priests, his personal soldiers, his closest confidants. And when you think of this gathering, this gathering would kind of be a combination between the State of the Union address and the presidential inauguration. And so we have all the big people gathered as 
David speaks. And it's at this time that David issues a charge to Solomon. And he says, you're going to be the new king. And in 28, he gives him that charge. And directly following that charge, David delivers this prayer of thanksgiving. And many theologians argue that this is to be the actual climax of King David's reign. A man who ruled Israel for 40 years. A man who not only defended the boundaries of Israel, but multiplied not just the size, but its wealth and its influence. And even though he was a warrior, it was his leadership, it was his, his, his kingship that led, nation, that led Israel into national peace for many years. But it is in this prayer that demonstrates that King David was truly a man after God's own heart. It's in this prayer of thanksgiving that he gives us an example. He gives each of us an example of how we are to pray, how we are to do prayers of thanksgiving. We all know that one of David's life goals was to build the temple. However, God tells us that because he was a warrior and that he had shed blood, that God wanted Solomon, God wanted David's son to build that temple instead. And even though David wasn't allowed to build the temple, he wasn't allowed to construct God's house, he launched one of the greatest building campaigns of all times. And after the campaign was successful, right, to, to say the least, they got everything they needed plus more. Verse 9 of chapter, nine tells, of chapter 29 tells us, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. And it's at this point that we see David go before the Lord in thanksgiving that he offers up this prayer. And it's this prayer that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. We're going to unpack some of the things that David mentions and how he formed this prayer to help us as we pray with thanksgiving. This morning we're going to look at the introduction of the prayer, right? The, the first things first, where do we start with our prayers of thanksgiving? And then next week we're going to look at how God's overflowing generosity in our own lives allows us to be thankful. And then on November 20th, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we will look at how David concludes his prayer of thanksgiving by thanking God that he will continue to draw hearts to him in obedience. And as we begin this study, I'm just going to read the entire prayer before we break it down. So again, you can go ahead, chapter 29 of First Chronicles, and I'll read the prayer in its entirety beginning in verse 10 and ending in verse 19. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness, 
In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people, and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the the palace for which I have made provision. When we go before God, we are reminded of his blessings. We are told to to remember the things that, that God has done. David wrote in one of his Psalms, forget not all his benefits. Right, so we are to remember the things that God has done for us. We are to remember the things that God has given us. But as we thank him for all of his blessings, let us not forget to thank him for who he is. Let us not forget to thank him for himself. And this is the heart of this prayer. Is David is thanking God, not for God's things, not for God's provisions, but he is thanking God for simply being God. This is truly the heart of the prayers of all thanksgiving, that they don't begin with speaking of God's things, they begin with speaking of God. And David's prayer of thanksgiving begins with God, with adoration of God as we read it. And notice that he doesn't make some introductory speech or say something repeatedly or ritualistic. Right? He's so impressed by the character of God, he's so impressed with who God is, he's so impacted by God that he is compelled to begin his prayer by praising God for who God is. He begins with the, the character of God. And we often equate or think of, of the character of God with the many names that God has. Jehovah Jireh, the, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. El Eloi, the, the God most high. And these are all names that we can use for our God. And doesn't it sound familiar that when we pray, when we start our prayers, we should start with who God is. Someone who is intimately familiar with God the Father told his disciples to pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, Jesus told his disciples, he tells us, he gives us the model prayers that we are supposed to start with who God is. Hallowed be your name. Right? This are, our prayers are to start focused on God. Hallowed be your name. This is like, holy are you. Right? Hallowed means holy or sanctified or blessed or consecrated. It means it's set apart from all else that this person that we are speaking to, this person that we are addressing is like no other and set up on high. Some of you, if, if I'm going to be honest, most of us still aren't sure exact, exactly what those words mean. Right? Some of those words are just church words that we use in church, and we've accepted them to be good answers when somebody asks us a question, but we're not really sure what they mean. So King David helps us out a little bit. He starts to unpack what it means to be hallowed is your name. He gives us a short course in theology in the opening of his prayer. Right? He begins his prayer with an expanded version of what Jesus told his disciples to pray. He expands out what it means to be hallowed be your name. And King David starts to list the attributes, the characteristics of God, and he gives us a a starting point for our own prayers. And all of our prayers should begin with God. All of our prayers should begin with who God is. And Jesus summed it up in just one word. Jesus was pretty good at summing things up. He took all those commandments down to two. And here he takes 
all the glory in who God is and to hallowed be your name. But David spends some time on what that means. Why his name is set aside, why his name is holy, why his name is blessed, why his name is consecrated, why his name is hollow. Let's look at each of these characteristics that David mentions. In the very first verse, in verse 10, David begins with, Blessed are you, O Lord, and God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Right away, David lets us know that God is faithful. That God has a history of faithfulness because he is the God from everlasting to everlasting. He is the everlasting God. His, his timeline, his nature is without beginning and it's without end. It's free from all constraints of time. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the, the end. Moses wrote this. He wrote, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And just as God was faithful to Moses and Joshua and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David, he will be faithful to us today. From everlasting to everlasting, right? he will be faithful because he is God. And as we continue into verse 11, this is jam-packed with characteristics of God, and we're going to spend some some time on this. So we're going to go ahead and read verse 11. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. We're going to spend some time here. This is important, and these aren't just words that we're going to skip over, that we're going to overlook so we can get to the the meat of the prayer. This is the meat of the prayer. This is the foundation that this prayer is built on. So to help us understand it this week, I want you to start start your prayer. Start praying this week with each of these characteristics that we are about to look at, each of these characteristics that are found in this verse. So if you have your Bible, open it up. Get ready to underline those characteristics. If you have a pen or a notepad, you might want to start, uh, be ready, because I, I may give you some verses or some passages or some chapters that will be useful as you start to pray this week. So if you're ready, here we're going to go. If you're not ready, pause here, just catch up later. Here we go. So tomorrow, this is what I want you to start your prayers with. On Monday, you start your prayers with, God, you are great. That's it. That's how you will start your prayers. You will get down before God and just start off with God. You are great. Right? He is expansive and larger than anything in the universe. And you say that that is simple. And then we just move on. But we really don't think about what that means. Listen to how his greatness is explained in Psalm 104, which was written by King David. So when David says these words, you are great, this is what David is trying to to capture in those words. I'm going to read from Psalm 104. And David writes this. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood before the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled, and at the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the places that you appointed for them. You set a boundary so that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. 
You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that they may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. And in them the birds build their nest, and the storks has their home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, and when all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prayers, seeking their food from God. And when the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how, manifold are your, how manifold are your works in wisdom? Have you made them all? The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures. Innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan which you formed to play in it. That's pretty great, right? When you start thinking about all the things that God created, all the things that God did, all the things that God orchestrates, building mountains, creating valleys, stopping the seas. When David says God is great, that's what we should be picturing in our minds. That's what we should be thinking of. When we go to pray, we need to be mindful of his greatness. We need to be mindful of who we are speaking to and who we are talking to. His greatness alone should lead us to worship. His greatness alone should lead us to cry out, praise the Lord, oh my soul, oh my God, you are very great. Just in knowing who he is. And so tomorrow, when you begin your prayers and you just say, God, you are so great, that's what you should think of. That's what should be on your heart. So Monday is God, you are good, or uh, God, you are great. Tuesday, we're going to start our prayers with God, you are powerful. When we look through Scripture, we see the word Almighty occurs three hundred and forty times, and it is never used for anything but God. He alone is powerful. David begins one of his psalms. He says, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the seas, and when its waves rise, you still them. In this verse, particularly, this hits home. I just returned last week from Florida, and I saw the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. And as I looked at the destruction, as I looked at the powerful, powerful, uh, effects of the water. And I read the scripture and it says God is in control of all of those things. Time and time again as we toured the area, people said I've never seen anything this powerful. I've never seen anything do this work. The power of the waves, the power of the wind, the power of the hurricane is nothing, nothing when compared with the power of our God. And so when we go and pray to God, we should stand in awe of his power. Right? We should remember his power. 
But as his children, we should find comfort in his power. This is power that protects us because he is faithful and he is a good God. So tomorrow we're going to begin our prayers with God is great. That's what we're going to do on Monday. On on Tuesday we're going to begin our prayers with God is powerful and we're going to rejoice in his might and who he is. And on Wednesdays, I want you to begin your prayer simply with God, you are glorious. That's your term. That's how you start. Just God, you are glorious. And when we speak of this word, it implies beauty. It implies splendor and his greatness and his power. They're beautiful. And God is characterized by this glory. He's characterized by this beauty. Everything about God signifies the highest esteem for beauty and for honor. He exhibits all that that causes men to praise him. When we go out into nature and we see the things that he has created, we are led to worship. And when David coned this, when he said, David, when God, you are glorious, David is thinking about a psalm that he wrote. When he speaks of the glory of God, he begins this entire psalm in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Just go out into nature. Just go out and see what God has created. The entire natural world bears witness to God's glory just through its beauty. Paul reminds, reminds us of creation. Paul writes in his letter to Romans that it is God and his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. All right, Paul's saying, you want to see the glory of God? Just go look at nature. You want to see who God is and that he's all everything that he promised? You just go look at it and God's glory is seen in all of creation. So here's what I want you to do on Wednesday. We're going to get a little trickier on Wednesday. On Wednesday... To get a glimpse of his glory and as you pray, I want you to do something. I want you to go out into nature and I want you to go pray where you see God's beauty. I want you to maybe drive to the beach and put your feet in the sand where the water meets the, uh, the land. Where the water rushes over the sand and stand out and look at the ocean, look at his glory. Maybe you want to take your family and take them up to, to Wolseley Canyon as the sun sets and catch a beauty of his glory. Right, these this family messed up this beautiful sun setting. Right? We, we were up there, and as we saw that sun setting on God's creation, we stood in awe of his glory. So on Wednesday, you go find a place. You get lost in God's glory, and you praise him for who he is, and you just start your prayer off with, God, you are glorious. Be reminded of his beauty, and church, is it? Man, you're gonna see that nature. And it's going to trigger something, but it's only a glimpse of his glory. It's only a tiny part of the beauty of God. So on Monday, you're going to begin your prayers with, you guys should be with me on this, God, you are great. And on Tuesday, we're going to begin our prayers with, God, you are powerful. On Wednesday, we're going to begin our prayers with, God, you are glorious. And we're going to rejoice in his beauty. Then on Thursday, I want you to begin your prayers simply by saying, God, you are victorious. God, you are victorious. We know as Christians, we know as we follow Jesus, we know as we read the Bible, we know as we read the end, we know that God is victorious, we know that the battle belongs to the Lord, and we know that God wins. God is victorious, and we can celebrate that now. David celebrated this a long time ago. In Psalms 98, he wrote this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. David is celebrating the victory of God before Jesus walked the earth. Because our God is everlasting. Our God is faithful. Our God had a plan and we can celebrate now. And it is this victory that has already happened that led to the writing of the psalm. It's also this passage, it's this Psalm uh, 98 that led Isaac Watts to write one of the most popular hymns now associated with Christmas. It was this victory that led Isaac Watts to write the song, Joy to the World. And it is through his victory that he, that God, brings joy to the world. And it's in his victory, and we find this, and actually it's one of the the least sung parts of the song, but it's verse 3 of Joy to the World. It says this, and and I don't have a tune, so I'm not even going to try to sing it. Dustin, I would call you up, but we didn't plan it. But this is what Isaac Isaac, uh, Watts wrote this. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Right? The victory has been won. The curse is defeated. It is nowhere to be found, and his blessings flow. His victory removes the, cor- the curse and fills us with joy. And we can sing that because God is victorious. Right? So that's that's uh, Thursday. That's all you can do. Begin your verse. Here's, here's the deal. After you say, God, you are victorious, you just continue with your prayer. Right? It's that easy. So church, we're running out of days of the week here. So if you're going to say this, you've got to say it with me now. So on Monday, we're going to begin our prayers with God, you are great. On Tuesday, we're going to begin our prayers with God, you are. On Wednesday, we're going to begin our prayers with God, you are. And on Thursday, we're going to begin by saying, God, you are. And we're going to rejoice in that victory. Right? You, you are saved. If you know Jesus, you are saved. It's not you might be saved. It's not like you're going to have to die and we're going to have to wait to see if you are saved. You are saved. This life that you are living right now, if you know Jesus, is the victory parade. Right? Go and celebrate and enjoy the victory that we have in Jesus. And then it's on Friday. We will start our prayers with, God, you are majestic. That God is our king. And it's in our prayers that we celebrate the wonders of being part of his kingdom. That he has allowed us not only to come into his kingdom, but to be his sons and daughters. God is faithful and he continually performs these mighty deeds to display his glory and to further the purposes, his purposes for his people, God's people. And we receive those gifts of his goodness. And we see Jesus is our king. It is not a burden, but it is something that we celebrate, that he is majestic. majestic. And when David praises his majesty in a psalm of worship, this is what I want you to read on Friday. Begin by reading Psalm 145 and reflect on his majesty as David did when he penned the following. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And on Friday, we enjoy being in the kingdom. We enjoy being able to call God not just Abba Father, but our Lord and our King. And as we continue in these prayers, we've got one more. So on Monday, we're going to pray, God, you are great. We're going to start our prayers, and we're going to go into prayer. On Tuesday, we're going to say, God, you are powerful, and we're going to go into our prayer. On Wednesday, we're going to begin our prayers with, God, you are glorious. On Thursday, we're going to begin our prayers by saying, God, you are victorious. On Friday, we're going to start our prayers with, God, you are majestic, and we're, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate him as our king. And on Saturday, simply start your prayers with, God, you are sovereign. God, you are sovereign. He owns everything, and he governs everything that he owns. He has ruling authority as king over everything. There's nothing he does not have control over. He has complete independence to exercise his control. Nowhere else on earth do we see this. Nowhere else in the planets or in the universe do we see somebody who is completely independent to exercise all authority. He is in control of all creation and all creation worships him as king. Listen to how David ends another one of his songs of praise that celebrate God's goodness and his compassion that is found in his sovereignty. If you go to Psalm 103, and I was able to cheat because I knew I was going to be reading these, but if you go to Psalm 103, towards the end of the psalm, David writes this, the the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and the kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Listen how David finishes this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And when we read this, we talk about this throne or his heavens. We're talking, it's referring to God's universal rule over all creation. God's throne that sits on top of everything. And the marvel of being God's people is that the ones whose kingdom God rules over, we have the privilege of embracing his rule. We have the privilege of falling underneath his rule. We have the privilege of falling underneath his protection. We have the privilege of falling underneath his kingdom and being blessed with his blessings. The truth that God reigns and is sovereign, the truth that God reigns, that he is in complete control. And when we reflect on that truth, it is the answer to every doubt that we might have. It is the answer to every despair or fear that we are facing is the truth that God is sovereign and he is in complete control and no circumstances, no people affect his will and what he does. And we have security and safety because God is faithful and God is good. And God is good. And as we continue to read through David's prayer, 
You go on to verse 12, and it says, Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God is the source of all riches. God is the source of all honors. God is the source of all strength. Scripture tells us that everything that we have and everything that is good comes from God. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about this, so we're going to next week. Right? This is what we're going to focus on next week. And so let's continue on this verse. Right? When you see verses 11 and 12, the attributes of God are celebrated with this heartfelt reverence as David is listing out the characters of who God is. This is a, a beautiful prayer, and David uses this language in this memorable and this beautiful and this eloquent way. And as we reflect on who God is, we are drawn near to God. As we read about the characteristics of God, as we read about the, 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 the attributes of who God is, we are drawn to Him and we come into His glory. We experience His power. We experience His goodness. Right? We witness His victory and we stand in awe of His glory as we stand before His throne. When we go to God in prayer, it is not simply to bring our sin and our wants, right, to bring our sin and our desires. It's not even primarily that we can give Him our gratitude before Him. But when we go to God in prayer, it's to bring His holiness and His greatness and His grace before us. That we would encounter the glory of God as we address Him in prayer, in all types of prayer. When we begin to think on God's power and His majesty and His sovereignty, it awakens our hearts to grateful praise as we approach His throne of of grace. As we remember, as we reflect on who God is, our hearts are, are filled and our words are formed. Our prayers are formed to the realities of who God is. And as we speak, we pray that our words are formed by who God is. We pray that our words are formed for who God is. We pray that our prayers align with God's heart. And now, verse 13, David truly begins the prayer. And he begins it with, And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. When we begin our prayers with God, when we begin all of our prayers with who God is, our hearts are led to worship. As we reflect on who God is. And just like King David, this is where our prayers should always start. They should start with God. They should start with hallowed be your name. They should start with praise and worship for who he is. And for this week, we need to to begin our prayers with God. We need to remember who he is. We need to remember his greatness. We need to remember his power and his glory and his victory and his majesty and his sovereignty. And as we go through, think of nothing else, think of no plans, think of no models, just begin your prayers with who God is. Church, before we can even get into thanking God for his things, we have to thank God for who he is. Dear Father, we just pray as we come before you this week that we would be in awe of who you are, that we would be able to pray David's prayer to you. That we would be able to, to, to imagine, that we'd be able to think and comprehend all of these things that 
David was singing about, that David was praying to you about. That we think of your greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And Lord, we thank you for all the benefits. We thank you for all the blessings. We thank you for the hope and the comfort and all those things that you provide. But Lord, most of all, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for sending your your son to earth and sending him to the cross and to paying for our sins and to giving us life. Everything else pales in comparison to you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's precious and holy and victorious, majestic name of Jesus that we pray all of these things. And all of God's people said, amen.